Hey, I'm glad you're here this morning. We're in a series, third part of a series called Thrive. And Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians with Silas and Timothy right there by his sides. It's probably the oldest book that we have uh, from the New Testament. Paul wrote it at a time when the people around him who had converted to Christ, who were a part of the Christian faith now, were absolutely sure to suffer uh, from persecution and humiliation and ridicule. It was a dark time for those of us who are followers of Jesus. And in 1 Thessalonians, we see Paul thanking them, this church that he was so crazy about. They stayed faithful uh, in their commitment to Christ, and he wanted to encourage them, keep going. Guys, you're almost there. Don't give up. Don't give up. Continue. You know, today we live, we're so fortunate to live in, in, in this place, in, in a country where, yeah, I get that we kind of face some persecution, uh, some of us at certain moments, but w- we don't experience anything like these early believers did. No one makes a sport out of feeding us to lions, you know, watching that. Uh, we're not being crucified. We're not being burned at the stake for our beliefs. We're not even really imprisoned for professing Jesus. Um, It's a different place and a different time. But I want us to be mindful that all of those things and more, that does happen. It's happening right now, elsewhere. And because we're shielded from it, and because we live in such a safe place like Knoxville, Tennessee, it's hard for us sometimes because of the distance to really get that that people are hurting, and that Christians are suffering for their faith in other parts of the world today. According to the New Persecuted, there were more Christian martyrs in the 20th century than there were in all of the previous 19 centuries together combined. And according to Open Doors Ministry, today up to 100 million Christians around the world are facing persecution and oppression and discrimination because of their faith. Folks, we've got to remember our brothers and sisters in our prayers, and we have to speak out on their behalf. It's always a little abstract, but we have to pray. I stood in a church in another country once, and the pastor leaned over, and he smiled, and I said, what is it? And he said, I make a little game out of always trying to pick out who the spies are in the room today. And he said, we have two with us this morning. Later in the week, some people came by to check my papers, and they knew the house where I was staying, and they knew the messages. And he said, they will be here every night in all the meetings we have to make sure you don't say anything about the government or about this community, or that you don't go too far in your remarks. It's one of the few times in my life that I had to kind of be careful, you know, and think through, is this going to be okay? Am I going to get this pastor or this church in trouble? That's a little different for us. In our country, we just don't face that kind of persecution. But I know that for for many of you in this room, your faith, being being a Christian it does come with a price tag. Every day there are people who don't get hired because of their faith. And in the real world, every day there are salespeople who don't get the order 
there are business people who don't get the contract because their faith got in the way. Because you didn't fit into that culture or to that moment. Every day, whether we want to believe it or not, uh, and, and I'm not paranoid about this or trying to exaggerate it to make a point, but I know there are students who get a lower grade because a professor is intolerant of that student's beliefs. Every day there are people who are excluded from a certain clique or ignored by another group because their faith just puts them in this unique place. Some of us have even experienced that from family members, right? Some of you have even had close family to kind of hold you at a distance because you're Christian. I was introduced once at a family gathering uh, with, with this little footnote. This is Dan, you know, blah, blah, blah. He's very religious. And for the rest of the day, I was treated, no kidding, a little differently. And you think, well, that's subtle, but it's there and you sense it, right? Our struggles are certainly milder. Uh, and they can't be compared with what's happening uh, in some places in the Mideast or in Northern Africa, for example. But we do face struggles in our Christian life. Paul warned us about this. In, in fact, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, In fact, everyone who wants to live or all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Everyone. Everyone. If you've never been persecuted as a follower of Jesus... And that's never happened to you, and you think, that is so weird to even think about that. You need to kind of match this up with Scripture, kind of lay that over and just see, am I doing something wrong if I'm not being persecuted at all? Because Paul said, all of us are going to do that. We need to realize that the struggles we have in life are not limited to just persecution or just oppression. Sometimes we have trouble in life just because. Life is just troublesome, Right? Jesus said in, in Matthew five forty five, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You don't get a free pass the minute you finish your prayer uh, to step into Christ. You say, I'm in Jesus now. I think it's going to be pretty smooth sailing. I think all my troubles are over now that I'm a, a Christian. In fact, for, for many of us, that's when the troubles really started, right? In other words, we've all got problems. We all got trouble. There's no such thing as... Just a carefree, easy, trouble-free life. It never ends. And you can count on the fact that your life is going to always be peppered with persecution and with problems. And when this happens, you've got a choice. You can either stay in the fight or you can turn and run. And at different moments in my experience... I've chosen both of those. And what that means is that your decision will lead you to one of two consequences. You will either conquer it or it will conquer you. It has to be one or the other. Your life won't stay in a holding pattern for very long. Troubles are just a fact of life. Now, that's kind of gloomy so far, so let me give you some good news, okay? Romans 8.37 says this, In all these things, in all, upon the, all these, these things, we are more than, we exceed the position of conqueror. It's through him who loved us. 
in Jesus, you have the potential, you have the power to overcome anything that comes your way. And I don't say that like preacher talk. I don't say that in a, in a big way. And you think, wow, they always overstate issues and they don't even know what my life's like and what I'm going through right now. Now, I've thought through that carefully. You know what? I'm going to stand on it. Because this ability that you have, sometimes it's locked away, but it, it, to, to conquer, to do more than to sidestep or just to avoid or to escape, you know, to kind of weasel out of it or slip away over here. And you think maybe that's been a pattern in your life. Maybe that's been kind of a go-to behavior. And you think, oh, I got through that. I just want to kind of get past it and go to the next thing. And God says, you know what? I designed that in your life or allowed that in your life to show you what a conqueror you can be. Yeah, you, in your personality, with your giftedness, your talent, your intellect, all of that. Because it's not dependent really on you. It's, it's not about you anyway. It's about him and his ability. Some folks just don't thrive. Even some of us who are followers of Jesus, we don't. I don't know about you, but I don't want that to be true of me. And I don't want it to be true of you. I want each of us to be able to go to distance, to have this depth of character that it takes to endure, to overcome, to be able to finish the race, to be able to sing songs like Victory in Jesus, and to understand those words are really true. So today, let's look back at 1 Thessalonians again. Today we're in chapter 3, and I'm going to bounce back and forth to there. So if you want to just keep your finger in your Bible or, or just check out the screens up here, this chapter tells us the truth about trouble. And the truth about trouble is that it's just inevitable. You know how careful you can be sometimes to not get sick or how careful you can be to avoid an accident or how, how cautious you are to think, I'm just going to stay out of trouble. I'm not going to enter into that conversation. I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm just going to, I don't want to get in trouble. And it just seems to find us anyway. Persecution, oppression, problems, rejections, disappointments, discouragements, setbacks, all of those kind of sometimes frame our lives. And each one of those items are on the menu for all of us. And the truth about trouble is that it's just temporary. One of the things I say to myself and one of the things that I say to other people, if you've ever struggled, you've probably heard me say something like this. Hey, brother, this is not going to last forever. Hey, sister, this is not your life from now on. This is just temporary. This is just a phase. And you've got to look on the other side of that. And maybe that's just like a, a mind trick that I play with myself. But, you know, if I can look past this and think, you know what? Worst case scenario, this is going to take a month just to hammer through this. You know what? Worst case scenario, it's going to take me two years to grind my way out of this circumstance. And there's life on the other side of that. This is not forever. One of the things I love about 1 Thessalonians, particularly this third chapter, is that Paul shows us how to be steadfast. What if it's just going to take a day? Okay, what if it's going to take five years? How, how, do, we, how do we do that? Well, here's some things that we need to remember. First of all, Paul said you have to plan to persevere. You mentally prepare yourself. In other words, expect life to be difficult from time to time. Problems, disappointments, setbacks, 
They're just, they're inevitable. And that's why Paul said this in the fourth verse. He said, in fact, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. As it has come to pass, as you know. In fact, we were with you. We kept telling you. This is written in an imperfect tense, which means we warned you at one point in time, and then we warned you again, and then we warned you again. Paul is kind of that guy who says, told you so. You just kind of hear your mother's echo in that, I told you, again and again and again and again. That's what Paul's saying. We, tell, we warned you this was going to happen. Don't be shocked. What's going on? I didn't see that coming. That's why Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 12, Dear friends, my fr- you're my friends. Don't be surprised. You're surprised, really, at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. You know, for you to wake up and go, this is so weird, I've got a problem. Oh, no kidding. You, and you didn't expect that. Well, no, I thought I was immune to that. You ever ask yourself, why... You ever get to that, that kind of whiny place or that just, I'm so sorry for me place? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been there. Why, why does everything have to happen to me? Why does it have to be so hard? I remember walking my dog once and I was praying as I walked and I made sure nobody was around me. And, and, you know, and I, just, I just stopped and looked at the Lord and said, God, what is, what is it with me? <laughs> why does it have to be so hard? You, it, would it just be so terrible to give me something, just, just give me a mulligan. Just make it easy. Just give me a hole in one. How about that? Just one time. No, this is going to be hard, I think. Okay. And just kept walking. Why do problems have to come your way, right? Why, why does there have to be opposition? Don't they get it? Don't the people who stand you know, opposite you, don't they understand your heart? You're a good person. Why does there have to be failure? Why can't life just be easy sometimes? Well, I don't have a lot of answers, but I do have one. We live in a fallen world. This is not heaven. This is earth. (laughs) And we're not going to have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, not until we're in heaven. I do know this, there is a certain amount of suffering that comes just with your birth certificate. And on top of that, there is a certain amount of suffering that comes with your certificate of baptism. Because you're in Jesus, sometimes instead of life getting easier, it's going to be more blessed. But sometimes it's going to be more difficult because you're a Christian. And there's this real temptation that comes along with that, saying, you know what? If this is what it means to follow Jesus, if this is how he treats his friends, I don't think I want to do this. And I've had people to say that. I've had people say, you know, I'm out. I'm out. They didn't tell me in vacation Bible school when I was eight and I prayed the prayer. They didn't tell me at 10 at that meeting. They didn't tell me at the youth camp when I was 16 and I prayed that prayer. Nobody said anything about days like this. They just said, you're going to be forgiven, Jesus is going to love you, you're going to go to heaven, sign here, here, and here. But the truth of the fact is, it makes it even a little harder sometimes. So the people who kid themselves into thinking, I think life's just going to be pretty good now, it's going to be easy, 
in my experience, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but those are typically the people who give up first and make life even more difficult. So let me ask, hey, are you, you going to plan to persevere? Just before it even comes, before you're, you get there, but you can see on the horizon there's this potential that I think this probably could happen to me. Are you going to go ahead and plan? Okay, I'm, I'm going to gear, I'm going to just kind of be prepared for that. I see it coming. Secondly, hold on to your Timothys. Paul said in verse 1 and 2, and I have a different version in my notes than up here, so I'm going to try, I'm just going to read it right off the screen. Therefore, I love this language. Paul is just, one of the things I've figured out about him, I'm studying Philippians on my own, just in my personal time before the Lord and Thessalonians for this series. Some of the stereotypes that we have about him, that he's kind of a tough guy, He's kind of hard. You get that feel sometimes when you read Paul or some of the teachers that you've been around have said, yeah, Paul was a gunslinger and he didn't fool around a lot. And he was, a, he was you know, one of those guys that had gone through a lot of things and it, and just, it made him, he was kind of battle toughened. You know what I see? The more I read the things that he wrote, he had this tender, beautiful heart. He was just kind of a sweetheart of a guy. Listen to this. He said, therefore, when we could bear it no longer... <laughs> We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and to exhort you in your faith. Isn't that just a beautiful thing? You know, some of the people in the church had to have been thinking, oh, we're going through this and it's just really hard. We need Paul. We need Paul. Get Paul here. I mean, he, he kind of got us into this. Why isn't Paul here with us? We need Paul. Where is Paul? You know, and, and all eyes were kind of on him. And I'm sure letters were going back and forth. And people were like, you've got to get Paul. You've got to tell him how serious this is. We're being killed about this. And we're being beaten up and imprisoned and abused in all kinds of ways. We've got to get Paul. Paul couldn't be there. You know, even Paul was hindered by Satan. And sometimes you think, why am I not victorious? Or why did this happen to me? Even Paul, who was probably the greatest Christian to ever live, there are times he couldn't overcome. It says Satan prevented him, even though he tried again and again and again to get there. So Paul and Silas and Timothy decided together, let's send Timothy. Or more accurately, you know, God sent Timothy to take Paul's place. And Timothy ministered strength and he ministered encouragement to the people in Thessalonica. The thing about Timothy is he's not really an apostle. You know, he's not the big gun. And can you imagine if you're in that church and and, and maybe you get a a hint of a rumor, uh, help's coming, we're going to get some relief. And so you're kind of waiting and maybe you go down to the bus station, chariot station, I don't know, wherever people came into town, and you're kind of watching, and you're like, here he comes, oh, somebody's coming, it's, oh, it's not Paul, it's Timothy, oh, why didn't you send Timothy, and they probably pushed back a little bit about that, and just kind of thought, we, we didn't, but it was Timothy, and he's young, he probably wasn't considered by most of the people to be the guy for this moment. He was sort of the second string quarterback. 
But he was God's choice for the people of Thessalonica. And he was the one that God used. Now, I want you to understand something. If Paul isn't there for you, God will send a Timothy your way. And I've known some people who get so focused on looking for help from Paul that they weren't willing to receive anything from Timothy. 1 Thessalonians 2.17 says this. It says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. We just wanted to see you. We wanted to, we wanted to be with you. And the thing about that, that word, uh, we were torn away from you uh, for a short time, not in, in heart. Some, some versions will say, n- not in this way or that way. That's really a word, cardia. It means like in our heart of hearts, in our heart and soul, we just, we wanted to be there with you. In chapter 2, Paul said, and we've been left behind. You know, Silas and I have stayed here, and we're, we're going to send Timothy, and we feel like there's this separation that's actually a present active participle. And it's this phrase that would have been very familiar to the people then that means nothing to us now. We just see the words, we've been left behind. But it was, a, it was used in specific circumstances in that culture and in that time. And here's the two most prominent times that you would say this, this little, the way these words were put together, we've been left behind. One is when a child left your home. Those of your parents know what this is like, Right? Maybe your child goes off to school or they get a job in another place or they get married and they leave the house. And you remember the first night you you walk past the bedroom and and you look in there and not only are they not there, you know they're not coming back tonight. Been there. You get up the next morning, you walk by and, and their bed's still made and you realize, oh, they don't sleep here anymore. They don't live in this place anymore. And some of you have sat on the edge of that bed and cried. Some of you have pulled your children up to the University of Tennessee, maybe on the day of Operation Contact, and you unload, you know, 20 pairs of jeans and, you know, a 40-inch flat screen and a a brand-new, you know, MacBook Pro and all all the stuff that's absolutely necessary for education. And then you drive home, and they're not in the car anymore. And that feeling, remember that feeling? Some of you have been on the other side of that. I remember the first night I, I laid down in an apartment and looked up at the ceiling and thought, I don't know anybody. What am I doing here? I'm all by myself in a city. I, don't, I, I can't even find my way to, I don't know where I would go anyway. That's what this phrase meant. The other time that this phrase was used was with the death of a spouse. You know, I can remember the first times, you know, being with my mom alone after my dad passed away. And just watching her go through the house and, and she would touch things. And he had this chair. He was such a cliche, okay? I mean, he had the beige, lazy boy, that vinyl lounger. And he put the stuff in his hair. And at the back of the lounger, it has the little flap. They count on you messing that up. They just count on old guys who sit in those chairs to have something that's going to deteriorate the chair. So they build this flap in, and, and you could do like this, and, oh, there's a little part left, you know. There's just a, 
And there was my dad's ashtray. I mean, all the romantic things that go into being who he was. You know, and she would just touch things like that. And I remember sitting in that chair one time, and I'm kicking back, and I'm kind of watching. And she says, I can just see your father sitting there. And I felt like, oh, my goodness. And I got up and thought, oh, I didn't mean to, you know. It's like, no, but that feeling. Some of you walk that ground. That's what this word means. And that's how Paul felt about Thessalonica. He loved these people. He, he so dearly loved this church. And it just hurt his heart not to be able to go there himself. So he thought, you know what? I'm just going to send the very best that I have. And the only thing I have in the world, actually, I don't have anything. I've got Silas and Timothy. I'll share. I'll split up the only resources I have. And I'll send you the best that I've got, Timothy. And he let Timothy go. He was willing to do that. I have a friend who, when he moved to a new city, he uh, had really enjoyed church in Knoxville. And, you know, he looked around for another place. And after a while, he said, you know what? I just can't find a good church. I just, I'm going to a church. But I just think, you know what? I, I think I'm just going to give up on church for a while. I'm not going to go. And, you know, I, I could see what was happening to him. I said, hey, brother, let me just kind of get in your face for a minute. We're 500 miles away from you now. You need to embrace that new place. There are going to be people there who are eager to be in your life and to share their life with you. You've got to open up and share your life with them. You've got to give yourself to that new place. Maybe we're your Paul, but they're the Timothy that God's given you. Let them minister to you. Is there a Timothy that God has sent to you that perhaps you've overlooked in some way? Has God opened a door of possibility for you, but you're so stuck on this idea that you've got in your head or this person or system or job or whatever it is, you think, I'm not going to, that's my Paul, I'm not going to let go of it. All my security is kind of right there. And God is just saying, I, if I have to pry your fingers off that, it, that's not going to work anymore. But look, I've got a Timothy for you. I've got something, a place you haven't entered. All I know is that God hasn't forgotten you, and he will not abandon you. He will not. He will send someone into your life to minister strength, to give you encouragement. And if you plan to persevere, you're going to need some help along the way. Open the door to your Timothy. There's one other thing that I, I think will help, help us to develop this spirit of perseverance. Remember that that perseverance, that your strength, encourages others. In chapter 1, Paul mentions that churches from all over the world had been encouraged by the example of the Thessalonian church. In chapter 1, verse 8, he said this. He said, your faith has become known everywhere. These people had some street cred. These people had a reputation of being those who could persevere. And other people would look at him and say, wow, of a, anywhere to plant a church, anywhere you think there wouldn't be great you know, Christians or believers, and those people have done it in a harsh environment. If they can do it, maybe we can do that too. Maybe we can do that too. And now, 
Three chapters later in verse 7, Paul says, Therefore, brothers, in all our distress, in all our persecution, we're encouraged because of you. We're encouraged about you and your faith. You've made a difference. He's saying your faithfulness encouraged us to remain faithful. Your perseverance helped us to persevere. I've had friends who have been through divorces, have been through bankruptcy, have lost all their hair in chemotherapy. I've had friends who have faced all kinds and manners of problems, and yet I've seen those friends hold fast to their faith in Jesus, and they continue to serve him and to live for him and to be a testimony for him all throughout the days of our life. And I've got to tell you, some of you are sitting in this room, your faithfulness has changed me. It's encouraged me. That kind of perseverance inspires me because I want to be like you. I want to be tough like you. And when I'm tempted just to call it quits, I remember that my perseverance maybe might in some way inspire somebody else to stay faithful. For somebody else to, to stay with their calling. I want my friends, I want my family, I want anybody else who just might happen uh, to be watching to be able to say, you know what, if a guy like Dan can hang in there, maybe I can too. There are people watching you. Your kids, your co-workers, your neighbors, your extended family. I mean, there are people who know the trouble that you face and they see how you respond to it. I'm not asking you to fake it. I'm not asking you to pretend like everything's cool with me. I'm good. I've got this. Uh, it's not a problem. It doesn't hurt. That's not genuine. It's not authentic. It's okay for people to, to see you hurt, but I want people to know that in the midst of that somewhere, we found the courage to stay in the fight until the end. And when you do that, not only will you overcome, but you're going to inspire a whole new generation of believers to be overcomers. Paul closes out this chapter encouraging us to love one another. In verse 12, he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Just as our love is for you, we want you to be like that to other people. And we're talking about developing the strength of character to be able to thrive in our own personal circumstances. And the idea is not that we just be strong for ourselves. Not so that one day we can look back and go, I made it, I did it, me and Jesus, we, we kind of toughed it out. No, you know what, the whole point of it is, I, I think, it, it, that it's, you're going to find out one day, it wasn't about you anyway, but that a big part of what it was that you were going through was so that you could be strong for those around you. We don't just live life for ourselves, we live it for others. Our, our life is fueled by the love for others. And... If that's not true of you, you're missing the whole point. It's about your kids. It's about your parents. It's about your brothers and sisters. It's about your spouses. It's about your neighbors and the people in this fellowship. And the most selfish thing that you could ever do 
in front of them is to quit. Quitters aren't thinking of other people when they give up. They're they're thinking only of themselves. It's those who stay in the battle, those who are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to get banged around, but I'll take the bumps, I'll take the bruises, I'll collect some scars along the way if I have to, if that's what it means that I can keep Christ alive for others. And those are the ones that I, I want to truly know what it means to love. I know it's hard. And I know it's not fair. And for some, even to hear me say that, you think, I can't believe that I'm going through this and now you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're calling me out and you're going to say, well, you're a quitter or you're selfish. And you're just being a crybaby. And I know it's hard. And I, and I, know, I know it hurts. And I know you're weary. I know that there are some days you get up and just every part of you that you just wants to pack it in. Say, what's the use? Never mind. And you don't want to hear me say this. But it's not just about you. It's not. So Paul says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow so that you'll be happy and everything's great. No, he said, for each other. It's for others. Because he knows that the more you love others, and the more faithful you are to Christ, the bigger impact you're going to make in this brief time. So the truth about trouble, is it's going to invade every life here. Every one of us. Every home, every family, every business, every believer but the truth about trouble is that it's also very temporary. It's just not going to last forever. In fact, earlier, you know, Paul said and Peter said and John said, and they all use this one specific verb, says it's a time of testing. Dakamazo, it's testing. And this is such a cool phrase because it's borrowed from, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce this, metallurgy, a metallurgist who, uh, it, who takes metal and... Uh, works with it and, until it's genuine or that it's, it's pure metal that only comes through this refining process. And the refining is always by fire. It's always by fire. And, and this process reveals true metal by this physical burning again and again and again where the dross is brought to the surface and then it's skimmed away. And then the temperature is reduced and it goes through another thing and then they they fire it back up again and more dross, more impurities come to the surface and they draw that off. And that's done again and again, over and over, until the refiner can look into the metal and he sees his own face reflected clearly back. And he knows it's ready. I think that's what God does with us. I think that's what he allowed. I think it's very purposeful that they would use that language. And the time the heat's off and you think, wow, I got through that. And then you feel it getting warm again and you think, oh, no, I'm not going to go through another thing. Yeah, you are. But every time that happens and you give yourself over to Jesus and you submit your life in him. And he's able to pull away those impurities out of your personality. He's able to pull that junk out of the past, and he's able to overcome all that stuff about you until he sees his face in you. God will allow us to go through similar kind of experiences. So I just wanted to encourage you today. So hang in there. 
to thrive, to stay in the fight, to stand up. Paul uses the phrase to stand firm in the very beginning of this chapter. He says, we just want you, Thessalonians, we just want you to stand firm. And that's a military term. And maybe a commander would be on a hillside and there's the war beneath him in the valley, which was often the way it was. And at some point where he could see our army has the advantage, we're, we're, we're going to overcome, we're going to win. I can see that. But down in the midst of the battle, when it's nothing but swords and shields and spears and blood and chaos, you can't tell. Am I winning or losing right now? I don't know. All I know is this guy's trying to hack me up. But the commander can look down on it and he can say, yeah, we're about to win this. And so he gives this specific military command, stand firm. And when he says that, the idea was you can stay where you are or you can step forward. But you cannot, you're not allowed to take a step back. Because you're going forward. And I think if there's nothing else that you take away from this morning... There's nothing else you remember in what I've said. I'm going to ask you to stand firm. To stand firm. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Don't give up. Don't give in. Would you stand, please? Kevin and his team have a song ready for us. You're just, we're just going to do this again. It's going to, you're going to love this, but... In the midst of that, here's what I'd like. If, if you're going through a fire right now, one of these trials, and you're not sure what's going on, and maybe you feel your grip is slipping a little bit, and you're just tired, would you let us pray over you? Let's be like that church in Thessalonica. Let's be the, the Knoxvillean church, whatever. Let's pray over each other. Let's infuse one another with strength and with power and with encouragement. So let's play, pray for and with each other. Some of you will feel called to receive prayer this morning. You think, I just need somebody to pray on me. And some of you feel like, you know what, I, I, just, I just feel this anointing to pray for someone today. Would you just step out and let's just do that? Let's wrap up today just by praying God's strength and encouragement over one another. Let me begin, and as you feel led, as you feel the freedom of the Holy Spirit, just, just do that. You may want to go across the room to somebody else and just put your arm around them and say, I just, feel like, I just feel like God wants me to pray for you, sister. I just feel like, hey, brother, I just feel like God wants me to give you a blessing. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your encouragement and the strength that you give us. We've got trouble. We've got problems. We've got all these circumstances and situations. And within them, we have found our victory in Jesus. And today, Father, I pray that you would lift up hearts that are aching, that you would encourage people who are ready to give up, ready to step away, to stay into the fight. This won't last forever. You're going to bless them and strengthen them. You're going to flow into other lives with beauty and with grace and power because of our strengths. Thank you, Jesus. We trust you.